The following Knowledge at Warden podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. Additional support for this podcast comes from Warden Executive Education. For more information on Warden's executive course, Essentials of Management, please visit executiveeducation.warden.upenn.edu. The issue of using hardware or software-based digital rights management, or DRM, to restrict how music and movies can be copied or shared has spurred fierce debate between those who think DRM is essential to protect content from unauthorized use and those who believe it undermines consumers' rights to do whatever they want with the content they purchase. On February 6th, Apple CEO Steve Jobs added to the controversy by posting an open letter on Apple's website entitled Thoughts on Music, in which Jobs proposes that the recording industry simply do away with DRM altogether. In the memo, Jobs stresses that the requirement to protect music from unauthorized copying comes not from Apple, but from those who own the content, primarily the big four music companies, Universal, Sony, BMG, Warner, and EMI, all but one of which are owned in whole or in part by European companies. The recording industry was quick to respond, indicating that it feels Apple, not DRM, is the problem, and urging Jobs to license its copyright protection software, called Fairplay, to competitors. Individual music companies such as EMI have stepped into the fray as well. With the battle lines drawn between those who want to assure that digital content is controlled and those who think it is to everyone's benefit if music files can be freely copied, we ask Wharton marketing professor Pete Fader and Don Huseman, senior director of information technology at Wharton, for their views on the subject. Thank you both for coming. Steve Jobs has suggested that the record companies should drop the DRM from their digital content. Is he right? I think he's right. Uh, I think this is uh, uh, a move that's been a long time coming. It's just a question of who is going to say it first and how the industry would, would respond. I think it's absolutely brilliant on his part. I think it has much more impact than if it came from one of the industry insiders. Uh, I think, and uh, I think the the contradiction that some people have pointed out makes it all the more delicious uh, and I think makes it all the more credible uh, for, for him to be saying it. And it'll be very interesting to see uh, what the ripple effects continue to look like. Um, I think it's brilliant as well because it certainly represents uh, a winning strategy. It, it builds him fans. It certainly positions Apple uh, on the side of the consumers. Uh, however, I think that in fact it's wrong. I think that if... If uh, Steve had really wanted to do something revolutionary, he would take up the challenge to uh, make fair play an industry standard by licensing it for other manufacturers. Uh, at the risk of infuriating the listeners, I am a fan of a, of a light version of DRM, uh, and I, I think it uh, benefits the one group who has uh, it has the potential for benefiting the one group who has always lost out in these business arrangements, and that's the creative artist. Also, just to, to take the side of those uh, who think that this is not a good idea, don't record companies have a responsibility to their shareholders to protect the value of their assets by assuring that, that only legal copies of songs are downloaded? I think that uh, the record companies have a, a, an obligation to maximize the value of the assets that they have, and I think putting the kinds of restrictions that they've used to date have only hurt it. 
I think uh, I'm not saying that letting everything go free is, is necessarily the best way to go, although I'm not exactly sure what light DRM would mean and uh, how successfully it can be implemented. But I think they're leaving a great deal of money on the table by restricting the, the kinds of things that their listeners can do. And to go back to your opening statement, Robbie, I don't see it as a matter of consumer rights. I just see it as a matter of good business and making these kinds of files available so that people are messing around listening to your music instead of listening to someone else's or doing other kinds of activities is good business. Uh, Don, maybe you could answer what, what, what Pete's question about light DRM. Could you tell us what, what exactly you have in mind? Yes, I think it's fair play. I, I think Apple has done another brilliant example of a, of a user interface that works. I, you know, I, I, it's my experience, at least, that uh, fair play is not onerous in terms of the way it's implemented DRM. Uh, it, it allows for uh, uh, use of multiple devices. It, uh, it, it, uh, it certainly has not slowed down something like 2 billion uh, individual instances of downloads over the last four years. Uh, and I think it, is, uh, uh, it can serve as the basis for a sort of a new model of doing business. Um, my thinking about DRM Lite is basically uh, an effort to, in a, a very non-draconian fashion, uh, implement a security system that just keeps honest people honest. Uh, not that uh, it is uh, strong enough to prevent a dedicated uh, pirate from, from, from breaking a code, but rather that uh, I, I liken it a bit to the, uh, the kind of security I have on my 15-year-old Mitsubishi. I, I know for a fact that a dedicated criminal can break into my car, but I keep it locked when it's on the street because I don't want the kids to get themselves into trouble, and I like to keep honest people honest. Uh, let's assume that uh, DRM controls are removed. Uh, doesn't that get us back to having to sue people who distribute content as the only means of controlling lost revenue? Pete, what do you think? It's a tempting path for the uh, rights holders to follow, but it's a mistaken one. Uh, they, they shouldn't have begun those lawsuits in the first place. They've been very ineffective, not only in stopping the flow of unauthorized music, but in creating value for the assets and for the firms that control those assets. I think it was just a terrible mistake. So again, it's not a matter of what uh, what the, these firms can or can't do. It's what they, they should or shouldn't do. And we're seeing the same battle being fought right now on the video side, where some of the content holders who were first saying YouTube is our friend and we're going to use it for promotion and distribution, now they're backing off and pulling these assets out of there and shooting themselves in the foot in the process. So it's, it's really only a matter of what stupid things these firms are going to do to quote-unquote protect their assets while at the same time diluting the value of those same assets. I think it's important too, to note that this is an interesting uh, time for change in the model in that uh, CDs are still uh, probably uh, the dominant way in which tunes find their way onto an iPod uh, uh, other than pirated downloads. I've seen estimates as high as 90% of downloads uh, today are, are essentially uh, uh, illegal uh, and would uh, uh, represent, I guess, lost revenue to, to, uh, to the uh, asset holders. So uh, I think it's in that context, as we're seeing the CD disappear, that these new models are emerging. And it hasn't, it isn't, we're not yet at that new day. So we have an opportunity, I think, to sort of rethink this from the get-go, which is what's exciting to me. 
about the prospect of the, for the first time, I think, in, a, in maybe 100 years, actually trying to return some revenue back to the people who, who are the creative artists that make the industry work in the first place. And if I can pick up on Don's point, uh, I, I, obviously it's a fact that the CDs are still where the lion's share revenue comes from in the music industry. And I think before we call it dead and write it off and just wonder what's going to happen with the digital future, I think that CDs will continue to be the dominant source of, of revenue for a long, long time. And if the industry played its cards right, it could it could stay that way for for the foreseeable future. And I think part of that is using songs as ways to promote CDs. And part of that is trying to make DRM as minimal as possible, encouraging people to share the songs so that they'll go out and buy the album uh, and, and find whatever other added value there might be from the album itself. I think that's a really good business model. I think the technology is in place to make people want to buy albums, but it's just not the way that the labels are doing business today, and it's no one's fault but their own. Why do you think Jobs felt the need to post a public statement of his views? Does he really want to eliminate DRM, or does he merely want to make it clear that the decision isn't up to him, it's in the hands of the music companies? There's a lot of speculation about it. Some people are saying it's because of the lawsuits that he's facing in Europe. Some people are saying that he's, he just likes the attention and he wanted to preempt some of the other folks who are poised to make similar kinds of decisions. Uh, he, he is a smart man, and it's very hard to, to understand his, his true motivations uh, well, because in fact, there's so many motivations here. There is the the, the legal aspects. There, uh, all of these these possible reasons uh, make sense. So I, I'm not so much worried about the the why he did it. I'm much more interested in the consequences of of what will happen now that that argument's on the table. It'll be interesting to see what comes of this in in the sense that uh, certainly uh, Apple uh, stands to win in any of a whole set of scenarios. In addition to being the dominant player uh, in the DRM business uh, today, uh, they also, of course, uh, benefit from uh, just an increased uh, sort of a rejuvenation of the music industry at large because of their hardware sales. So, again, I think that anyone who's in the consumer electronics business as a major manufacturer stands to win by just simply increasing activity. Uh, anybody who's in the music distribution business like a Yahoo or a Google or a YouTube also stands to win based on advertising. The only people who stand to lose, the consumers also, of course, stand to win if, if uh, music is freely distributed. Again, the only people who, who lose are the uh, creative artists who originate all of this. Uh, I think about my friends who have bands that uh, sell CDs at the back of the hall when they're done on a Saturday night gig, and uh, uh, I uh, I wonder if there isn't an opportunity to to stimulate more creative work uh, as we. Uh, uh, sort of turn the apple cart over with this particular industry. We, uh, I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the RIAA's response to jobs. Uh, the music industry was not happy uh, with, with jobs. Uh, and, and, and though it's what's interesting to me is that while they reportedly praised jobs for his offer to license fair play, uh, while the memo seems to uh, reject that idea entirely, uh, did the RIAA simply misinterpret the memo, or was this their attempt to move the debate back to the issue of licensing uh, fair play technology? Well, I think it's a, it's a deeper story than just that. There's a very interesting love-hate relationship between the RIAA and, and Steve Jobs. At first, he was the savior who was going to fix everything wrong with the industry. When they realized his own motivations, which is, of course, to sell iPods uh, and, and not necessarily to, to rejuvenate the music per se, 
they've, they realize that, that, first of all, he has far more control than they ever wanted him to have. And he's not willing to play by their rules. He's not willing to use the kind of price flexibility that they'd like him to use and, and many other uh, sources of tension along the way. And every time some of this tension comes up, it's always the industry backing down, realizing that Jobs is holding all the cards. At this point, I think the industry has realized that they've made a lot of mistakes by giving him not just too much control, but too much credibility. Uh, and I think it's important for them to kind of strike back to say, wait a minute, this is our industry, not yours. But like with everything they do, it's too little too late. Yeah, I know they've done a few experiments of late, but they've been very modest. So like Nora Jones has given away a song uh, to increase interest in her most recent album. Um, but I would concur with Pete is that uh, these are very timid and modest steps. And again, I, I have no interest in... in uh, 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 in doing anything that would assist the uh, these monoliths that have sort of dominated the music scene for so long, uh, I suspect that one of the reasons that sales are off at Warner and other places is in not just in part uh, to uh, piracy, which I do think is a factor, but the fact that they just haven't uh, tended their own fields. They haven't um, encouraged talent to grow in places... Uh, uh, that are new and promising. And again, it just is another sign of a lack of creativity in that industry. What's your take on the related story that EMI may have been exploring the idea of dropping DRM from its music for some time, but is looking for the retail sales companies like Apple and eMusic to pay them an upfront risk insurance fee? Well, one of the good bits of news here is that they're just willing to try things. Again, it might be uh, too little too late. It's hard to say uh, because of the job story. Uh, just kind of uh, overshadows everything that they were talking about. It's nice to see them messing around with, with these ideas. Uh, I don't think it's enough to, to provide the kind of rejuvenation that the industry really needs. Uh, but but it, whatever they're doing isn't working. Uh, and I think it would be important not just for EMI, who is in the deepest trouble of all, but for every one of the labels to be trying things and for each one to be trying things different from the other labels. I think we need to have a, a broad variety of experimentation here to try to find out what factors, what business models work, and which ones they should just let go of. In fact, in that regard, I would put out a plea to, to the uh, creative uh, sorts at Apple to assist the uh, small labels and the independents uh, in you know, again, I would suggest in, in a uh, deployment of fair play technology that might allow them to to uh, reap more direct benefit from their own work instead of working through this convoluted 20th century distribution system that is uh, dominated by four players. And if I could add one thing to it, one one of the the downsides of this discussion it's it's, it's very interesting and delicious. But it's actually calling attention away from what I think is the, the best, most promising business model of all, which would be the, the subscription streaming model. Now, once we get it back to MP3, this, uh, you know, light DRM, that, it's, it comes back to just people downloading music and filling hard drives with it. I still believe that the subscription model, this is it's done on, on the television side with cable, is absolutely the best way to go both for the firms and for the consumers. And I find it very dismaying, for instance, I was out shopping for a, a Mac computer this afternoon to realize that I can't get Rhapsody or Napster or th these kinds of wonderful services uh, on the Mac. Th that's just a shame. Yeah, we, we'll come back to the subscription model in a bit. I, I was just uh, w wondering if I could ask you about some of the other players apart from Apple. Uh, uh, Microsoft, for example, a few days after Jobs' essay came out on February 12th, demonstrated a new digital rights management system called PlayReady. 
and it claims that uh, this could allow users to create a domain of devices within which content could be shared. Do you think this is a step in the right direction? Well, any step uh, might be in the right direction. It's better than not stepping at all. Uh, but but Microsoft has been stepping all over its own feet uh, in in this area. Uh, everything from the plays for sure to the the format they came up with for the Zoom and this this new one over here. And the issue is well, it's twofold. One is that people just don't trust Microsoft. Uh, the, the the whole idea that DRM is kind of evil and restrictive fits well, unfortunately, with with, with the the image that people have of Microsoft. And they've just been very bad at it. Their their, their attempts have been clumsy. They've been poorly communicated. They they haven't worked very well from a technical standpoint, from my own personal experience. So I, I, it's hard to imagine that this is going to be the one to get it all right. If, again, what I said earlier I think applies here as well, which is if you want to turn to somebody who knows how to work a user interface in a manner that makes a, the user experience pleasant, we go to Apple. So I, I, you know, I would not trust uh, designers at Microsoft to come up with the right approach to this. So what's the bottom line? If the music companies sell digital content without DRM protection, will it help or hurt their profits? Well, it all depends on what the, the, the rest of the business model. I think if they can create just a really interesting value proposition with albums and view songs as just advertisements for albums and get people to buy this really interesting bundle, not just of music, but of other kinds of creative content, then it's, it's a huge win for the industry. They'll, they'll, they'll make far more money and it will change consumer behavior in a, in a far more productive way. If it's just a matter of, of using this format versus that, and it's basically not going to steer people away from LimeWire or some of these other un unauthorized networks, and then it's, it's not going to change much at all. And unfortunately, uh, despite the, the, the interest in this particular announcement, uh, I, I don't see it being a, a watershed event for the industry as a whole, at least not yet. Yeah, I would say in particular that there are opportunities for uh, I guess segments of the market just remain profitable. The Nora Jones selection as an experiment was, I thought, uh, uh, interesting in that uh, I think her music appeals to an older generation uh, and uh, to a, uh, a group of people who are very ready to uh, sample a song and then uh, plop down the necessary money to pick up the CD. Uh, I, I don't know if that's true as well for, you know, people who are a bit younger than me. Maybe we should come back to what you were saying earlier, Pete, about the, the streaming or the, the subscription model with Rhapsody and what's called the Celestial ju Jukebox, I think. Uh, uh, I think that's a great idea, but I wonder why it hasn't got more traction. Uh, uh, I mean, iTunes and, and the other download uh, uh, pay-as-you-go kind of models have have sort of overshadowed it. Is there is there anything that you see in uh, in the future of this model that can help change that situation? Sure. Well, I think the reason why it hasn't really taken off is purely marketing. I think that uh, Real Networks has done what it can, but one firm by itself, especially one that's in the shadow of so many larger firms, can't turn the tide. I think the labels really, really need to get behind these kinds of services. They should be agnostic about which service uh, that, that, that people choose. They should do a better job of bundling the services with the hardware. And I think uh, Real has done that very well with SanDisk. They have a wonderful combination of software and, and hardware that almost nobody knows about. It's a terrific consumer experience, far better than iPod plus iTunes. Anyone who uses it loves it, but that's almost nobody. So it's a matter of getting everyone in the industry together and saying, hey, customers, this is the best thing for you. 
Uh, one of the great things about it is that it's, it's, it's very nice uh, revenue generating. It's a great way to reward artists for their hard work. And from a, a marketing research standpoint, it's a great way to track people's actual consumption, to know what songs they're listening to, when, and so on. Very rich information that you can't get when it's people simply downloading or, or, or swapping MP3 files. I would entirely agree with Pete that the access is the future, that uh, that software as a product is a very dated concept, and that uh, I think that applies as well to any digital content. I, I would even uh, look forward to a day when, uh, when it isn't just music and video that we're talking about, but uh, any uh, intellectual property books, uh, uh, graphic art uh, that's available in digital format, which is virtually everything, uh, would be uh, available to me uh, after I've paid my dues so that the people who created this material are appropriately rewarded and stimulated to create more, and uh, and yet with no onus on me to make the thing work on the collection of contraptions I happen to buy that year. How does all this talk of copyright protection affect the movie industry? What would you tell the studios, which up until now have claimed that DRM is crucial to preventing piracy of their films? For one thing, they have to recognize the differences between movies and music. Most of the movie piracy that's occurring is real piracy. It's people stamping out illegal copies of DVDs and so on, and a lot of that happening in in, in other countries. From the digital side, uh, a downloading of a movie's... Uh, legal or illegal, has been far slower. It's been uh, just a much less big deal than anyone would have possibly predicted by, by 2007. So just on the pure digital side, I don't think it's as big a problem. It's still a big nuisance for people to want to do it. And the, the upside of having this enormous file on your hard drive is, is, is small compared to the downside of obtaining it. Whereas with music, getting songs and so on, it's, it's a very different kind of behavior. Uh, so, yeah, they need to be cognizant of some of these issues. Uh, everyone keeps saying, well, uh, bandwidth is, is, is becoming so readily available that uh, what happens with music today will happen with movies tomorrow. I don't see it happening quite that easily. And it's nice to see that, that uh, players in the movie industry have been more progressive about trying out different uh, digital distribution channels. Hard to say which ones will win, but at least they're, they're not doing it in a purely reactionary manner. Let me add one other thought to this conversation, too, that actually isn't directly related to movies. Uh, although it affects purchasing behavior there, I think it's stronger in the area of, uh, of music. And that is this sort of psychological uh, dimension to the history of people owning their, their music on a device uh, in some physical form that they can walk through the lyrics or look at the albums or have some kind of... Um, uh, personal ownership over a product. I do think that the age of access that we were talking about earlier uh, will uh, come more slowly because that pattern of ownership is deep in the American psyche and will take you know a generation or so to get rid of. One last question for both of you. Uh, let's say Steve Jobs and the heads of the big four music companies were with us in this room right now. What advice would you have for them? Well, I think I've already given that advice, which would be to push uh, quickly and decisively towards a streaming subscription model. Uh, I still believe that that Apple will move in that direction. Steve Jobs hasn't made some of the really harsh pronouncements uh, against it as he has done in the past. Uh, I think once they announce, you know, uh, iTunes Premium, 
which will provide you all the music you want for some monthly fee, uh, perhaps with some DRM associated with it. Uh, I, I think that's the revolution that, that I'm waiting for. Uh, and it would be uh, for the, the labels to try to beat them to the punch, to try to support the existing services or try to come up with a new one, which they haven't been very good at doing. Uh, I think that's what's going to make their customers very happy. Don? Um, I would ignore the executives from the from the four major distribution <laughs> groups and talk directly to Steve and ask him to set up a fair play foundation with all of its uh, its uh, revenues uh, that uh, as a nonprofit foundation uh, all of its uh, additional uh, revenues uh, spent to assist in stimulating creative artists to uh, take advantage of uh, of this new uh, opportunity for reaching out to very highly segmented uh, listening groups across the, the planet. Uh, I would suggest, too, that we're looking at a, a temporary uh, era, a phase uh, with regards to technology that will hold us from the death of the CD until the age of access. Thank you both for joining us. For more information please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.